This is the Morning Sports Desk for Wednesday, November 8th. Corey, we are joined this morning by uh, a special guest here. It's Eric Olson. He's the head football coach of Ottertail Central and getting ready for their first state tournament game uh, of the year on Thursday from Buffalo. He's joining us live on the Morning Sports Desk this morning. Hey, Eric, thanks for waking up with us. Hey, no problem. Eric, first of all, congratulations on your state tournament berth. Um, I want to go back all the way to August with you. Um, was a state tournament an expectation, a goal for this team coming into the year? Uh, you always look at uh, your season and say you want to end up, you know, as far as you can. Um, you know, we thought that we had some kids that we could make a run towards the end of the year. So, we, you know, we kind of put it as a, an expectation out there for them. I'm always fascinated by uh, uh, this part of, of it. So we know that it was maybe an expectation for you and the coaching staff. Is that an open conversation with the team? Do they get to decide it on their own as the season goes along? What are those conversations like as a full team from coaching staff to players? Uh, we, don't, we don't talk about you know, championships uh, you know, early in the year, but as things start to develop during the season, um, you know, you always want to know, uh, let the kids know what they're capable of, what's out in front of them. Uh, and once you're getting closer to them, you know, it makes them a little bit hungrier to try to get there. All right. I'm going to ask one more before I let CJ chime in. Then at what point of the season did you feel like, Hey, you know what? This state tournament is, is it, it now is an expectation for us. It's really going to happen. Um, you know, I don't think there was a definitive time, um, but it was a couple weeks in. Um, you know, we played a very good GG team game one and got a victory and, and then grinded through another game uh, week two. And I think kind of all of us looked at each other, players and coaches, and, and said, hey, guys, I, I, I think we have something special here and we can probably make a run. You know, as a team that was 11-man last year, you make the transition down to 9-man. I know we've talked about this before, Eric, but one more time, what has that transition been like and just kind of what did you and a coaching staff have to do to get your players ready kind of for the adjustment of having two less people on the field? You know, I'm so fortunate to have great coaches to work with and uh, and great students and athletes to work with. You know, it was kind of we, we found out about going 9-man and all of a sudden, you know, June hit. And we started our summer workouts and, you know, they embraced it. Uh, coaches worked hard to kind of, um, you know, kind of manipulate our 11 man concepts into nine man. Uh, and, and the kids just, uh, it just took it and went from there. And, you know, we've talked about kind of the, the blocking concepts and the things you guys were, were able to do and translate that into the nine-man game. And you guys had a great section championship against a very, very good Border West team, a team uh, last year in Wheaton, Herman, Norcross that had won the section the last couple of years. Uh, and a lot of that was uh, your defense. A lot of that was the running game uh, with your offensive line and with Lane Dilly getting, according to my count, somewhere between 40 carries, 220 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, what was that game like? like uh you know we we played border west regular season and that was just a, a mud bowl and uh you know we know going into the section championship that uh we had to basically control the ball and control the offensive line and uh, i thought we did a great job of controlling the offensive line and then our defense uh, got the ball back to the offense at opportune times 
And as you guys get ready now for that first uh, game of the state tournament, and you're going to go now uh, from Fargo all the way down to Buffalo, uh, and you're going to play Cedar Mountain uh, tomorrow night, uh, what do you know about them, and what's kind of the game plan going into that matchup? Uh, Cedar Mountain's a very, very good football team. I was down and watched them Friday night. They uh, they got some very nice-looking skill kids, uh, a tailback that is, tremendous uh he's going to carry the ball probably 25 30 times against us um very talented young man um and then their defense is very opportunistic they are quick like to take some chances so uh you know we're gonna have to be ready to play all right um uh, i have one more question for you and this is actually a uh, a fan question that was submitted to me this morning <laughs> eric um, yeah, uh, he, uh, he wants to be only recognized by his first name as to remain anonymous, uh, but his name is uh, Dana, and he wants to know <laughs> what's worse, babysitting freshmen on the sidelines or babysitting your assistant coaches? Well, um, that's a toss-up <laughs> question. I, you know, uh, the freshmen sometimes can get under your skin, but uh, every once in a while you got that you know, coach just kind of wanders on the field. You've got to wonder, you know, what is he doing and how to get him back off the field. So it's a toss-up. Eric, that's a tried-and-true football coach answer. I loved everything about it. Congratulations. Good luck on Thursday night. All right. Thank you very much. That was, again, Ottertail Central head football coach Eric Olson joining us live on the morning sports desk this morning. Appreciate him and uh, and his time to be able to talk and share with us. Corey, what did you think of uh, what kind of you learn outside of uh, that last question? Well, what I, what I appreciated and what I really liked is that um, I, I like every team does it, some sort of goal setting. Um, how teams do it, whether it's just coaching staff setting goals for the team, uh, whether it's the team realizing some of those goals. I like the goal-setting process, and I like I like those really high expectations. And, and what I appreciate even more is, is there were realistically high expectations for this OTC football team uh, this year. They knew coming in that there were some pieces there to make it special. Right. And then to follow through on some of those goals. It's, it's really hard. I, I should say this. It's very, very easy for every team to start the season and say, we want to make a state tournament. Every team does, mm-hmm. no doubt. But uh, Coach Olson made it very clear, like, you know, we assess, we're constantly assessing. That's what coaches do. They're thinking about the next year, probably a week after the season closes because the previous season closes, and like, gosh, you know what? We've got some pieces coming back this following year. And then it starts to get to the beginning of August, and you're like, you know what? This is really, this could happen for us if, if things fall in our direction a little bit and and we prepare the right way and do all of those things that we need to do. I know that's that's a little bit of a cliche, but I like those high expectations. I like realistically high expectations. And then, like we talked about yesterday, uh, making a state tournament's fun, man. This is this is everything that happens from here on out is is icing on the cake exactly yeah congratulations to coach olson congratulations to otter tail central and again Corey, we're going to have coverage of that football game 
on Thursday night over on the Superstation K106, 105.9 FM, streaming live at WadenaRadio.com and the Superstation K106 app. 6.40 pregame, 7 o'clock kickoff tomorrow for Ottertail Central and Cedar Mountain at Buffalo High School. I'll be on the call for that one. Uh, it should be pretty fun. I've never been to the Buffalo uh, High School football stadium like in the press box. I think I've been there from marching band because we marched in Buffalo, but I actually don't <laughs> think I was there on the sure. football field. So I get to check out that. And I know you've been there before. Is that press box heated? Uh-uh. Oh, well, at least it's not going to be as cold as that game you had to do there a few years ago. I believe it was four degrees at kickoff. Oh. Four. Not four degrees above freezing. Four. And that was who was I th- Verndale and Spring Spring Valley Valley Sp- Spring Valley I believe is who the Lions. Um, crazy. I mean, it was it was so cold. There were there were um, at halftime. So first of all, I got asked by uh, Verndale coaching staff, "Can our camera operator come in and sit with you?" <laughs> like we don't have. There's not going to be a ton of room. But sure, absolutely. And then at halftime, there were like six people who looked into the window from Verndale and like, oh, Corey's here. And they just walked in <laughs> <laughs> to warm up at halftime. It, now, I had a little like electric space heater or whatever that I brought with me. Uh huh. So I didn't have to wear full winter garb the whole time. But I was in still in jeans and long underwear and uh, hoodie and I had gloves on so i could write i I didn't have to wear my winter jacket but everything else but everything else was just like this is stupid (laughs) it's gonna be a little bit warmer (laughs) gonna be considerably Uh, warmer for that game uh so speaking of football the vikings play on sunday against the new orleans saints and uh, justin jefferson's status still in doubt and pretty much unlikely that he's going to play uh, this week, yeah, which against the team in this Viking stretch of the schedule, playing New Orleans, which does have a good defense, um, playing New Orleans, going to Denver, Chicago at home, and then a bye week. Then you go to the Raiders, and then those final four games at Cincinnati, hosting Detroit, hosting Green Bay at Detroit to end the season. Those are kind of your important games. Now the Vikings need to win basically. A, they basically need to get to eight or nine wins if they want the postseason. So they got to get three wins at minimum through the rest of the season. But against some of these lower teams, I think it's okay if Jefferson's not there because I don't want to rush him back and have him re-hurt it. And then during those final three games, which are the most important, you don't have him. It's really, it's, it. A1 is him being actually fully healthy. Right. Because they are always, well, you know, they found a way to hang on here. But they're two losses away from being done. Right. Essentially. So, um... Yeah, and, and hamstrings are weird. The only if it's not healthy and not ready, it's not ready. That's it's just there is And everybody says at a different pace. There is even like broken bones, you like you just have to get to a point of trusting it. Mm-hmm. There's no trusting it with a muscle pull and a hamstring injury. It just either works or it doesn't. Um yeah, I mean what do you think week 14 after uh, the, because after the bye it is ominous, right? They're right. Like, they're like now it's going to be a week at a time. But that Schefter thing that came out on Sunday, this is going to be a slow build back for him, right? Doesn't it seem like, or maybe Monday Night Football hosting Chicago, but like their bye week is week thirteen. 
Right. Maybe week 14, get him back. What would be your... Maybe bring him back for week 13 against Chicago. You get a week to test it. It's a lesser opponent, so you could pull him off the field if he's not right, and then you have a right. whole another week to just kind of let him sit. I don't know. Uh, the answer is, is his hamstring will kind of let us know we he can play. It's the yeah. same thing with Royce Lewis, remember? Like, yeah. it's like why he wants to play third. Why can't the Twins just let him play third? And it's like, well, if he re-aggravates it, he's out for... Another month, which basically is the rest of the season. I cannot relate to a professional athletes ever, except in one instance, and that is what it's like to deal with a pulled hamstring. And there's a difference between a pulled hamstring and a blown hamstring. Uh huh. I blew out my hamstring. I've talked about this a hundred times. I was bruised from the top of my hind end to the back of my knee. It was an awful, awful feeling. And what happens, uh, to me anyway, was I could still run in a straight line almost the next day. It took me forever to get up to my very slow speed, and it took me even longer to slow down from that really slow speed. If it was, if it, if I tried to be explosive off of it at all, I'd re-aggravate it. If I tried to cut off of it at all, I'd re-aggravate it. If I just stood up weird from the kitchen table, I would re-aggravate it. It's a very fickle muscle once you once you hurt it. And it is a it's tough, man. It took me probably six weeks to feel normal again. Mm-hmm. And I still feel it I'm not I I don't do a ton anymore, but like if I don't stretch properly, I still can feel it twinge. And yeah. get ready to roll. And it was like a decade ago. Now, that just means I got to stretch better. I understand that. But, like, that's how fickle of an injury this is. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. One last thing before we let you go, Corey. According to Dan Hayes of The Athletic and other sources for the Star Tribune and things like that, mm-hmm. the Minnesota Twins, when we talked about this before, the Bally TV deal is gone. It's great that the Twins don't have to deal with Bally. Burn it to the ground. The only problem is Bally gave the Twins about 50 to $60 million last year, which right. went basically into payroll. and. Right. That's how the Twins paid for their players. And because they don't have that anymore, uh, they're going to cut down payroll considerably. Yep. The, according to Dan Hayes, the Twins could reduce payroll from last year's record high of $154 million, so $154 million, record high for the Twins last year. It could go anywhere down into the $125 to $140 million range yep. in terms of how much payroll the Twins would spend. Uh, what's your gut-level reaction, and then we'll let you go. Well, it means... That Gallo's not back. No. And, and he it, wasn't coming back anyways. He wasn't coming back anyway, but that money's gone. You were going to need to resign a right-handed hitting outfielder. And it means that Sonny Gray's not coming back. Likely. Or you're trading Polanco or Kepler. Or eventually, that's a part of it. But if you, if those two guys don't come back, the rest of your team can stay the same. That's pretty much the money difference, right? Pretty much, exactly. All right, I'll let you take the rest of this. So with the Twins, I think it's interesting because like Corey talked about, there are a lot of avenues that the Twins could go down. There's a lot of paths that they could do. They could basically just keep everything together and not change anything and not really re-sign anybody. But the team does have a couple uh, issues that need fixing. The Twins need one more starting pitcher to recoup the loss of Sonny Gray, uh, assuming that he doesn't come back. Even if the Twins were going to have normal payroll, there still was no guarantee that Sonny Gray was going to come back anyways. But, um, you know, the Twins are likely going to trade for a starting pitcher like they did with Lopez, although who they give up, you know, will remain to be seen. But 
That'll be a way to acquire a starting pitcher. The Twins need a right-handed hitting corner outfield bat that they were lacking all of last season. That would probably cost the amount of money it would cost to have Joey Gallo. And so, do you like that money's not coming? So, are you going to trade Max Kepler, who's going to make ten and a half million this year? Do you trade him, and that kind of offsets? Do you uh, trade Jorge Polanco because the Twins have a glut of infielders in the high minors? Uh, do you? There's a couple different avenues of guys that you can get rid of. Now, you know, some people are going to say, "Well, get rid of Buxton, get rid of Correa." Those. Those guys have full no-trade clauses. First of all, that ain't happening. Second of all, just for how the team is structured, that ain't happening either. So the Twins have uh, some high-salaried guys that are going to have to figure things out. And even if the Twins figure out where their TV games are going to be, like if they get if Fox 9 says they're going to do all of the Twins games next year, uh, they're still not going to pay the $55 million or whatever number it was that Bally was paying the Twins to get all of those games. So It'll recoup some value if base, if the Twins figure out a way to get their baseball games on the air, but also it's not going to be the full thing. They're going to have to deal with some of that in the middle. So before anybody freaks out, uh, and again, it's not a fun thing to, to share with you guys, but before everyone freaks out about the cheap poll ads and about the lack of spending and about blah, 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 let's just wait and see what happens. And if the Twins don't do anything, and if they really get cheap and they go down to that 125 after they make the playoffs in 2023, break the curse and get this big fan momentum, target field was packed. If they seriously cut down on payroll, we can be mad at them. If they have to cut because of the business side of things, I get it. Uh, but again, let's just wait and see their whole chunk of the offseason before we uh, before we kind of set ourselves on any narratives. This has been the Morning Sports Desk for Wednesday, November 8th.